On August 11th, Iranian prominent human rights lawyer Nasrin Sutudeh started her second hunger strike this year to protest the inhumane treatment of Iranian political prisoners amid the COVID-19 pandemic and release of all political prisoners in Iran. In her recent piece on the Atlantic Council website, Human Rights Watch Iran researcher Tara Seperifar writes, quote, By putting their health at risk, Sutude and others are trying to draw attention to the perilous situation of prisoners in Iran at a time when intensified U.S. sanctions and tensions with Iran, in addition to the coronavirus pandemic, have largely overshadowed the plight of people who shouldn't be in prison in the first place. In March 2019, the court sentenced Nasrin Sutudeh in absentia to 38 years in prison and 148 lashes. I spoke with Tara about Nasrin Sutudeh's hunger strike and the criminalization of peaceful protests in Iran. My understanding is that Sutudeh is determined to continue her strike, according to her husband, who has shared information on his social media account. Sutudeh's husband, Reza Khandan, is also an activist, and he has been in prison for his own activism and supporting Nasreen's work. She has lost weight, and she has refused to receive medical care, but she wants to continue her strike to raise awareness about the situation of political prisoners in Iranian prison at the time of the global pandemic of COVID-19. Several other prisoners have also joined her, supporting her, her struggle and also her call to release political prisoners. And I think what is most important for us is to echo the demands of these people who are putting their health at risk to raise awareness about the situation and the injustice against them. Iranian authorities back in April announced that they have they had released about 100,000 prisoners on temporary furloughs or clemency orders that they issued over a period of about a month. But the number hasn't been verified independently because we don't have access to uh, Iranian prisons um, to do this large-scale study. But if you look at the names of people who have been released and it's out there, there are very few human rights defenders and political prisoners who have been able to use this privilege of temporary releases. And dozens of well-known human rights defenders who have done nothing but peaceful dissent and activism who are still behind bars at the time that Iran is still struggling to control COVID-19. And as we all know, prisons are one of the most high-risk places because it's a place of confinement that social distancing is really impossible in many instances. You brought up several points. First off, why haven't the Iranian authorities released political prisoners? Iran 
has been celebrated as being successful and forward-thinking in releasing more than 100,000 prisoners. Of course, as you mentioned in your recent Atlantic piece, we're not really sure exactly how many prisoners and which prisons these prisoners have been released from. I think the problem of overcrowdedness in Iranian prisons has been widely acknowledged by, by Iranian authorities. And it's There are a combination of reasons why there is overcrowdedness in Iranian prison. One of them could be excessive use of imprisonment and criminalization of petty crimes. But when it comes to the situation of political prisoners and the decision to release them or not, I think we're not with an impartial and transparent assessment of um, the criteria needed for the release or reducing the population of prisons. I think then the, the calculation is really a political calculation that has been going on for decades about the situation of political prisoners in Iran. And we have a long history of authorities using rights that should be granted to prisoners, regardless of the nature of the quote-unquote crime they have committed, um, as additional pressure point. Mm. Uh, for instance, there's a long history of different human rights defenders and political prisoners being deprived of prompt access to adequate health care and them having to negotiate to receive proper health care outside prison. And I think this kind of follows the same pattern that even though the risks are higher and if you want to look at it from purely reducing prison population perspective during a global health pandemic, political prisoners who've not committed any violent act, they've only been sentenced on on speech crimes or activism crimes, they're probably the least dangerous people to be let out of prison, end up being behind bars because the perceived threat that they have against establishment is higher because it's security apparatus that is making these decisions. We have the case of Nargis Mohammadi, for example, who suffers from a neurological disease and, and, and is in the category of high-risk people. And she has been in, um, in prison in Zanjan, and there were reports of her contracting COVID-19 and her situation not being great, and then the authorities still refused to grant her a medical furlough, um, basically endangering her life. So I think the situation, it's very unfortunate, but it's its hard not to conclude that the calculation that is going on is, is, is based on ensuring a tight grip on activism by these people and ensuring that they could control their activism more than what should be granted to them as their right. I mean, it's very important to state that these people should have not been in prison in the first place because they haven't committed any crime. But my point is that if you want to put yourself in the eyes of authority, in shoes of authorities' shoes, trying to reduce the prison population, these people should be the first to let go. Well, she was convicted on seven charges and sentenced to 38 years in prison and 148 lashes. She has to serve 12 years of this 33 years sentence. Is that correct? That is my understanding, yes. What's behind that 12-year number? So under Iranian penal code, the crimes... uh, 
if brand are from the same category, um, you you only uh, serve the longest prison sentence. And if it's above a certain number, you can se- you can serve um, the longest plus up to half of the half of the longest prison sentence. So it has it, it in the intention of the article is to reduce the, the length of prison sentences for uh, for people in general, reducing imprisonment. Um, but in practice, I think what we have seen in the past um, six, seven years is that the length of prison sentences that activists are receiving um, has actually increased. Um, so if, for example, during 2009, activists were receiving prison sentences between two to five or maximum seven or eight years, now many of the activists in prison are serving imprisonment above 10 years. Um, so it is it is something that is in accordance with Iran's penal code. Uh, but I think, as I mentioned in my piece, what is striking about Sutuda's verdict is the extent authorities are criminalizing human rights activism. But the views that evidence of the crime Sutuda has committed is basically peaceful assembly in support of abolishing the death penalty step by step. It is a group that states very clearly that they want a gradual abolishment of the death penalty in Iran. They're not even radical enough to call for immediate abolishment. And still gathering with this group in front of the UN office in Tehran has been cited as as assembly, as collusion against national security or her interviews with foreign media or meeting with foreign politicians. Mm. And And one of the charges against her is for encouraging prostitution. When the movement against compulsory hijab really gained popularity, I think authorities also looked for ways to prosecute people who were engaging in it because the the punishment in prescribing law for not properly covering your hair with the headscarf doesn't go beyond few months or maximum a year or two. What they've done in the case of some activists who um, took their headscarf off in public and advocated for a change of law and Sutude, who was very outspoken in their defense and wanted to represent, is that they have elevated the charge to basically public indecency and going against public morale and encouraging prostitution in order to basically increase the punishment for it, which, for example, that charge can carry 10 years in prison. Mm. And they're basically using the advocacy element that uh, these people have in advocating peacefully for the law to change, to elevate the charge from a simple act of refusing to wear hijab to advocating for prostitution, which is shocking. How many of the young women who protested the mandatory hijab are still in jail? Because I know a number of them left Iran. At least five people are still in jail. Hmm. Saba Kordafshani, and I think her mother, Yasaman Ariani, and Mojgan, I am blanking on her last name, but these um, these three women and, and their mothers, actually Saba and Yasaman are both very young, but very outspoken about their activism 
And as you mentioned, some other activists who actually received shorter prison sentences in the beginning have left the country since. But there's still people who are in prison for their activism about this issue. You spoke about how Iranian authorities have uh, put pressure on political prisoners by different means. On August 18th, for example, Nasirina Sutude's daughter, Mehrave Khandan, was arbitrarily arrested by five security officers at her home in Tehran, transferred to the court in Evin. No reason was given for her arrest. However, she was later charged with physically assaulting a female security officer, and then she was released on bail. And this is according to one of the reports. Also, her husband was arrested and then later released, but his case is open. He appealed it, and it's still ongoing. And in July of this year, her husband uh, said that Iranian authorities had also barred access to their bank account. So what are they hoping to accomplish? I mean, I think silencing activists and basically ensuring that they don't use their popularity with the society to mobilize has been a goal of the intelligence authorities because if you look at the range of actions they employ, it can range from, for example, a simple summon or a phone call, a threatening phone call, to summoning someone, to arresting, to prosecuting, to sentencing, and then not stopping at the point of punishing the person and extending the harassment to family. And this can even last after people are released from prison. Often, for example, journalists, when they're released from prison, they find out that they've lost their job or they've lost their pension. Um, they can't really access it. So it's it's a campaign of harassment and pressure to convince you to give up or be silent in different ways. And if you don't give up, then the pressure increases. I think in the case of Sutude, she has been particularly outspoken on many of these issues Mm. and her family has always supported her and that's why they are also being targeted. It's quite cool to target someone's daughter. Mahrove is only 21 years old and it was very striking observation by many activists when Mahrave was arrested because people did remember her photos of being a young child the first time Nasrin was was arrested for example and was in prison in 2000 she was released in 2014 and now her daughter has grown up to a young woman and she is still facing harassment because of her mother's activism so the reality is that this um, suffering of human rights defenders is not only about the individual experience, but also about the family experience. In many cases, for example, when particularly men who are breadwinners of the family are taken away mm-hmm. and their bank accounts are seized or just simply they can't work, the family as a whole struggles. But in the case of Sutude, as I said, because she's been particularly outspoken, you can identify these acts of harassment that is targeting the family and goes way beyond Sutuda herself. So when she was charged, she was tried in absentia, and then they arrested her in her house. They arrested her in summer of 2018, and it wasn't very clear why they were arresting her. It was their 
new charges or she was serving a sentence that she wasn't sure about and then they said that yes she had been uh, tried in absentia that's something they had they've used at least against another human rights defender and i guess mohammadi she was arrested after she met with Catherine ashton the former head of the eu foreign policy chief they said that oh no, no she has just the remainder of her prison sentence that she needs to serve was in detention they brought new charges against her it seems like for sutu that they've i think there are at least two or three cases against her at different courts they've all been combined and that's why i think the strategy is to bring the maximum number of charges possible from all these avenues because if you actually look at the charges and the evidence used, uh, many of them are illegal in their under iranian law because you can't be tried for a crime you've committed more than once but they recycle many of these quote-unquote evidence to charge people with the maximum number to increase the length that they can keep people in prison sometimes it's easier to issue an arrest warrant if you have an outstanding sentence and once you are in detention then it's a lot easier to get permission for additional interrogation and additional case to be opened than maybe convincing a judge to issue an arrest warrant based on your old evidence. This is the second time that she has decided to go on hunger strike. I think the first one was about seven months ago. And there are other lawyers in prison at the moment. As you said, there are some political prisoners who started their own hunger strike in support of Nasir Nesutude and her demands for release of all political prisoners. Why do you think they are trying to make an example of Nasrin Asutudeh? Nasrin has become a symbol for the Iranian civil society, particularly in the international scene. She was the person who was released when President Rouhani was visiting the UN General Assembly for the first time after his election. So I think they're aware of Nasrin's status internally and internationally, and the reach she might have in mobilizing some of these activities against them. Otherwise, there was absolutely no reason for them to arrest today who had said that she was going to represent people who, have take, who had taken off their headscarf in protest. She wasn't joining the movement necessarily, but she was immediately arrested and she was handed down this extremely long prison sentence. I think for them it's important to isolate individuals who have the ability to mobilize either internally or at the international level. At the time that the country seems to be in a dire economic situation and people seem very frustrated with the combination of political repression, perceived corruption and economic situation. Sutude was arrested in June of 2018. On March Mm -hmm. of 2019, she was sentenced to 38 years in prison. And before going on hunger strike, she wrote several letters to the judicial authorities concerning the poor conditions of political prisoners and also demanding the release of political prisoners because of COVID. And she wrote, many prisoners are currently eligible for conditional release and many of them will be freed with the enforcement of a new law. However, prisoners are being treated as if there is no such a law or legal resource, while the authorities refuse to respond to any communications requesting legal steps for prisoners' release. And then she 
ends by saying, given the lack of any response to communications and requests for the freedom of political prisoners, I am starting a hunger strike. Now, it's been a month, and her case has gradually been getting international attention. Uh, she has been given several awards, international lawyer organizations, PEN America. They have all written letters in her support and calling for her release. What's been the reaction of the Iranian authorities? I mean, I think so far the authorities have, have disregarded the attention, and it might be because of all other crises that have been happening in the country. For example, several campaigns of not executing people who have received um, death sentences in connection to the participation in the protest or alleged murder of security officers during the protest. And they've been busy defending um, the system's action on those fronts. And usually authorities, I think, often respond to a combination of domestic and international pressure, because particularly the new head of the judiciary, who actually has a very dark past and was quite influential during the uh, mass executions of political prisoners in the 80s, has been responsive to some of the popular protests particularly in the online space in certain cases, but only when the pressure is felt also at home. And I think the reason that the attention might have not been focused on this particular issue is because there are some, several other things that are going on. And Nasrin is only one of the dozens of activists who are behind bars right now. Um, there have been some other urgent issues that civil society attention might have been divided on them as well. But I think usually when the international pressure is in coordination with the domestic concern, there is a reaction from authorities. And in some cases, the reaction has been positive. I am unfortunately pessimistic that the demand of releasing all political prisoners would be achieved immediately. But I think there are many ways for authorities to implement existing laws to release people who should not have been in prison in the first place, as Nasrin pointed out in her letter. Tara Seperifar is a researcher for Human Rights Watch, where she investigates human rights abuses in Iran and Kuwait. You can read Tara Seperifar's article, Why Nasrin Sutude is on hunger strike, to protest Iran's dire prison conditions on the Atlantic Council website.